Open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Again, good to be among you this morning and be with you this morning. It's truly a joy when our rows are filled up with folks. It's good to have you here. You know, being called narrow-minded is an insult. It means you are closed off to other opinions. It means that you are set in your ways and you're unlikely to change them. This morning I'd like for us to think about sometimes being narrow-minded is a good thing. Consider what our Lord says here in Matthew chapter 7. Come down to verse 13. It says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many are those who enter by it. Now notice verse 14. For the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. Faithful Christians are, are many times labeled as being narrow-minded. Living a life as a Christian is, is too restrictive. You're intolerant of other people's faith and other people's religious beliefs. And you rely on blind faith instead of wisdom. But I would argue, as we mentioned before, that narrow-mindedness, especially as it relates to the life of a Christian, is a good thing. I want to look at this passage in a little bit more detail and get some insight as to why it is maybe that our Lord speaks in this way and talks about this narrow gate and narrow way. Start with an analogy. If you've ever um, moved any livestock around, and I have, when I was a kid, my father and my uncle had cows. So we, at certain times of the year and certain times of whatever, had to move them around. And it's easy to move cows when you have a pretty wide gate or a wide hole in the fence that you might be pushing them through. You know, it's pretty easy to you get several guys around, you whistle and clap and yell and you kind of move them on through. It's pretty easy. But it's much more difficult to get one cow, like if you need to take a bull out of a, out of a pasture, to get that bull to go into a little trailer. And I've had experience with that too. I've had to scramble over a fence very quickly a couple times. Yes, I can get over it pretty quick. <laughs> Motivation. But we understand, trying to get that cow into that little chute is difficult. And why is that? Well, it's, it's obvious, isn't it? We can push the cows through a big hole in the fence and they kind of wander off in whatever general direction they might go, but, you know, kind of get them going that way. But when that gate is narrow, when that way is small, there's only one way to get into it. There's only one way in. Let's think about that as we go forward. Jesus later, Jesus later goes on in verses 21 through 23 here in Matthew 7 to talk about that unless you do the will of the Father, you will not find that narrow gate. 
Many think that doing things not authorized by God, as long as we're doing them in the name of God, will suffice. And that will lead us to that same destination. Might be a little bit different way that we get there. That goes against what Jesus is teaching here in this passage. Because there's only one gate, and it's narrow. And the path that lays beyond that gate is narrow as well. The instruction and the understanding is that we are to do God's will and only his will, not of any device that we might come up with on our own. So let's look at some practical ways that we can, we can accomplish this. And as, we do in, as we, we're going through this, let's, let's turn a phrase here. Instead of thinking about being narrow-minded, let's think about being narrow-gate-minded. And let's begin by understanding that first thing is, in this journey, is entering by that narrow gate. Jesus says in John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we see that narrowing down. There's only one way to get to the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ. We cannot rely on our own devices. We cannot rely on our own think-sos. Those who do that, Jesus describes in verse 23, as those who practice lawlessness. Well, Lord, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we prophesy in your name? And what Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. You who practice lawlessness. And there's only one way that God is authorized to go through Christ to get to the Father, and that is, of course, through baptism. Galatians 3 and verse 27, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. The New King James says, You have put on Christ, those of you who have been baptized into Christ. And of course we know from 1 Peter 3 and verse 21, Baptism now saves you, not the removal of the dirt from the flesh, but the appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Passing through the waters of baptism, then, sets us on that journey. That is the gate that we enter by. Through Jesus Christ, we are on that path, passing through that narrow gate. So once we're on that path, then, our charge as Christians, as charge as faithful servants to God, his children, is to not deviate from that path. It's in to indeed stay on it. And we can see that when it comes to raising our children. You know, Proverbs 22 and verse 6, Train a child up in the way that he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Makes sense to us in raising our children. To set them on the right course. To set them on the right path. Walking this narrow path means that we don't give any credence to false teaching. We don't give any attention to those things that might take us off that path. Galatians 1 and verse 8, Paul's reminding the Galatians, he says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. There's only one way. There's only one gospel. That keeps us on that path. 
not giving heed to anything that contradicts the gospel that we have been taught. It also means that we're not to engage in the works of the flesh. Later in the Galatian letter in, verse five, in chapter 5, beginning in verse 19, Paul says the works of the flesh are evident. Immorality, impurity, envying, drunkenness, those things that he lists there. Those are works of the flesh. And what's the consequence of that? It says, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So the works of the flesh are those things that knock us off that path. The path that leads to the kingdom of God. When we give in to those things, we're pushed off that path. So as we're walking this path that we've entered into through the narrow gate, and we're mindful of the path and we're trying to stay on it, one thing to remember is the path itself dictates the life that we ought to live. That involves being happy and serving the Lord. We've talked about this, mor- this this morning in our James class about trials and tribulations that come our way. But we need to be happy in serving the Lord, not happy in this world, worldly things, but happy in serving the Lord. Psalm 119 and verse 35 says, Make me walk in, your, in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. We ought to delight in this path that we're walking. And let it serve to dictate the life that we live. Think of the path of a, of, of a faithful Christian. This faithful Christian has a lifestyle that they lead. No, the cares of the world are all around us. Sometimes easily entangle us. We've been talking about in Hebrews chapter 12. But God wants us to live quiet and peaceful lives. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 11. And to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. And attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we've commanded you. you know, God wants us to lead a quiet life, taking care of our own business. It goes on there to say so that you won't, so that you'll be able to help those outside. The things that we do in our lives serve God in this way. Psalm 23, which David read for us there a minute ago. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Think about that path that we walk. Think about the path here that the psalmist is speaking of. Paths of righteousness. Finally, we need to have the confidence that Jesus has blazed the path ahead of us. We talk so often about our Lord, and the things that he did, the words that he left behind. But what I'm most amazed about, I think, and this might change over time, as things tend to do, is the example that our Lord left behind, the life that he led. He didn't just ask us to do these things and serve God. 
to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He demonstrated it. He showed us how to do it. So we don't have to wonder about it. And he's blazed that trail for us. You ever thought about what it means to, to blaze a trail? You know, I think we, we understand that um, you think of someone chopping down the brush, you know, chopping down the undergrowth and, and leading a, a trail through the woods so that those behind you can follow a little bit more easily, kicking the big rocks off the path. And that certainly is part of it. Trailblazers, you know. I think that's a basketball team, isn't it? But those people who have gone ahead and have made the way easier. There's also this idea and this practice in blazing a trail that you put a mark on a tree. Any of you have done any, any hiking at all? I've done very little. But there'll be a blaze on a, on a tree. It might be a certain color, and that color is the path that you're walking. So as you're waking your way through the woods, making your way through the woods, you see that blaze and you know that you're on the path. That's one way of thinking about it. Not only has Jesus blazed that trail in that way and clearing those obstacles and, and made the way straight for us, in a manner of speaking, as John did for him, but he's marked the path. He's marked the path so we don't have to worry about it. And he's done that by his words. John 6 and verse 63 says, It is the Spirit... It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh produces profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. The words that I have spoken to you. Now he's marked that trail for us. He's blazed the path. If we want to know where we stand, where the path leads, we can look here. And thank God for it. Thank God that he has not left us to wander in the wilderness. That he's given us a clear path out. He's done that through his son, who's blazed that trail before us. Look over in John 14. I spoke a moment ago about Jesus leading by example. And this passage right here in John 14 is a culmination of that. It's a wonderful example and crystallizes really what it is that we're talking about this morning. Jesus has blazed that trail for us. And not only that, as is so often with God's grace, it's always abundant. It's always overflowing. It's not this that Jesus has blaze the trail, but he's prepared a place for us when our journey is over. So if you're here in John 14, read with me verses 1 through 3. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Is there no more wonderful words of comfort than these? 
Jesus has said, I've gone on before you, and I've prepared a place. Where? In my Father's house. What a wonderful destination heaven is. What true blessings we have in heaven awaiting us when this life is over. And so we come, as we're wrapping up the lesson here, we kind of come back full circle. And we end up in the same place that we started, with Jesus being the only way to the Father. Read with me verses 4 through 6 now. As Jesus is saying here, he says, And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So in this way that we're going is the way that Jesus went. To the Father. Thomas asked him, how, how do we know the way? It's almost kind of an, in earthly terms here. Almost like Thomas is expecting Jesus to go and mark those trees. So they can find their way out. Jesus is speaking in spiritual terms, of course. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. From what we said back there, the words that I have spoken to you, from John 6 and verse 63, these, these words are spirit and are life. The words guide us. The word of God guides us along this path. So we come down to some questions then that we ask ourselves. Are you narrow-minded? Let's ask it this way. Are you narrow-gate-minded? And I'd say that you should be, especially in terms of what we're talking about, living a Christian life. There's no shame in living a, a disciplined life where we put God first in all things. There's no shame in that. There's no shame when we focus our footsteps as we walk along the path that Jesus himself has set before us. There's no shame in that. There's no shame in paying no attention to the world around us that try to pull us off that path. There's no shame in shunning those, those things and those people who try to pull us off that path. So if you've strayed from that narrow path, I exhort you and admonish you to get back on the path. It's not hard. It's easy for us to read and understand. We know where it is. We know where that path is. Thomas was, I think, looking for that earthly path, but we know it's spiritual. We know that the words of our Lord is what will guide us on the path. Or if you've not yet set off on that path, if you've not yet entered into that gate, what are you waiting for? We enter that gate through Jesus Christ, through baptism. So if you've not done that, you haven't begun your journey yet. And I would encourage you to do so.
and it means being baptized into our Lord. If you need the prayers of the congregation, I encourage you to let your request be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.